listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. And throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can do so on the Facebook group page, the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. And there, you'll be able to exchange your own reflections and thoughts, inspirations from today's reading with other listeners and followers. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 187. Today we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 5, Paragraphs 55 to 63. 55. Other arguments did the child Jesus add, and while seeming to ask questions, he taught with a divine efficacy. The scribes and learned men who heard him were all dumbfounded. Convinced by his arguments, they looked at each other and in great astonishment asked, What miracle is this, and what prodigy of a boy? Whence has he come, and who is the child? But though thus astonished, they did not recognize or suspect who it was that thus taught and enlightened them concerning such an important truth. During this time and before Jesus had finished his argument, his most holy mother and St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse, arrived just in time to hear him advance his last arguments. When he had finished, all the teachers of the law arose with stupendous amazement. The heavenly lady, absorbed in joy, approached her most loving son and in the presence of the whole assembly spoke to him the words recorded by St. Luke. Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Luke 4, 48. This loving complaint the Heavenly Mother uttered with equal reverence and affection, adoring him as God and manifesting her maternal affliction. The Lord answered, Why is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 56. The evangelist says that they did not understand the mystery of these words, Luke 2.50, for it was hidden at the time to Most Holy Mary and St. Joseph, and for two reasons. On the one hand, the interior joy of now reaping what they had sown in so much sorrow, and the visible presence of their precious treasure, entirely filled the faculties of their souls. And on the other hand, the time for the full comprehension of what had just been treated of in this discussion had not yet arrived for them. Moreover, for the most solicitous queen, there was another hindrance. Just as that time, and it was, that the veil, concealing the interior of her most holy son, had again intervened and was not removed until some time later. The learned men departed, 
commenting in their amazement upon the wonderful event by which they had been privileged to hear the teaching of eternal wisdom, though they did not recognize it. Being thus left alone, the Blessed Mother, embracing him with maternal affection, said to him, Permit my longing heart, my son, to give expression to its sorrow and pain, so that it may not die of grief as long as it can be of use to thee. Do not cast me off from thy sight, but accept me as thy slave. If it was my negligence which deprived me of thy presence, pardon me, and make me worthy of thy company, and do not punish me with thy absence. The divine child received her with signs of pleasure, and offered himself as her teacher and companion until the proper time should arrive. Thus was the dove-like and affectionate heart of the great lady appeased, and they departed for Nazareth. 57. But at some distance from Jerusalem, when they were alone upon the road, the most prudent lady fell on her knees before her son, and adored him, asking his benediction. For she had not thus reverenced him openly in presence of the people in the temple, being always anxious to conduct herself with the perfection of holiness. With loving tenderness, the child Jesus raised her from the ground and spoke to her words of sweetest comfort. Immediately the veil fell, revealing anew his most holy soul, with greater depth and clearness than ever before. Then the Heavenly Mother read and perceived in the interior of her Most Holy Son all the mysteries of his doings during those three days in Jerusalem. She understood also all that had passed in the dispute with the doctors, what Jesus had said, and why he did not manifest himself more clearly as the true Messiah. Many other sacramental secrets he revealed to his Virgin Mother, depositing them with her as an archive of all the treasures of his incarnate word, in order that thence he might receive for all of them the return of honor and praise due to him as author of such great wonders. And she, the Virgin Mother, fulfilled all the expectations of the Lord. Then she asked him to rest a while in the field and partake of some nourishment, and he accepted it from the hands of the great lady, the attentive mother of divine wisdom. Ecclesiastes 24.24 24. 58. During the rest of the journey, the Heavenly Mother discoursed with her sweetest son on the mysteries interiorly manifested to her concerning the discussion with the teachers. He repeated by word of mouth what he had shown her interiorly. In particular, he told her that these doctors had not recognized him as the Messiah because they were inflated and arrogant in their own knowledge. Their understanding was obscured by the darkness of their pride, so that they could not perceive the divine light shining forth in such profusion from him. While if they had had the humble and loving desire of seeing the truth, his reasoning would have sufficiently convinced them. On account of these obstacles, they saw it not, though it was open before their eyes. Our Redeemer converted many souls to the way of salvation on this journey, and as his most holy mother was with him, he used her as an instrument of his wonderful works. By means of her most prudent words and holy admonitions, he enlightened the hearts of all to whom she spoke. They restored health to many of the sick, they consoled the afflicted and sorrowful, and everywhere they scattered grace and mercy without ever losing an occasion for doing good. Since I've described more particularly some of the wonders performed during other of their journeys, I do not stop to describe any more here, for many chapters and much time would be necessary to relate them all, and there are other things more to the point to be related in this history. 59. 
They arrived at Nazareth, where they occupied themselves, in what I shall record later on. The evangelist Luke compendiously mentions all the mysteries in few words, saying the child Jesus was subject to his parents, namely Most Holy Mary and St. Joseph, and that his heavenly mother noted and preserved within her heart all these events, and that Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with God and men, Luke 2.52, of which, as far as my understanding goes, I will speak later on. Just now, I wish only to mention that the humility and obedience of our God and Master toward his parents were the admiration of the angels. But so was also the dignity and excellence of the most blessed mother, who thus merited that the incarnate God should subject himself and resign himself to her care, so much so that she, with the assistance of St. Joseph, governed him and disposed of him as her own. Although his subjection and obedience was to a certain extent a natural result of her motherhood, yet in order to make proper use of this maternal right and superiority, a different grace was necessary than the one by which she conceived and gave birth to him. The graces necessary for such ministry and office were given to Most Holy Mary in much abundance, that they overflowed into the soul of St. Joseph, making him worthy of being the reputed father of Jesus and the head of this family. 60. To the obedience and subjection of her Most Holy Son, the Great Lady on her part responded by heroic works. Among her other excellences, she conceived, as it were, an incomprehensible humility and most heartfelt gratitude for having regained the companionship of her son. This blessing of which the Heavenly Queen deemed herself unworthy vastly increased in her most pure heart, her love, and her anxiety to serve her divine son. And she was so constant in showing her gratitude, so punctual and solicitous to serve him, kneeling before him and lowering herself to the dust, that it excited the admiration of the highest seraphim. Moreover, she sought with the closest attention to imitate him in all his actions, as they became known to her, and exerted herself most anxiously to copy them and reproduce them in her own life. The plenitude of her perfection wounded the heart of our Christ and Lord, and according to our way of speaking, held him bound to her with chains of invincible love. His, being thus bound as God and as Son to this heavenly princess, gave rise to such an interchange and divine reciprocity of intense love, as surpasses all created understanding. For into the ocean of Mary's soul entered all the vast floods of the graces and blessings of the incarnate Word, and this ocean did not overflow, Ecclesiastes 1.7, because it contained the depth and expanse necessary to receive them. But these currents turn back to their source like ebbs and tides of the divinity held between two shores, the Son of God and his mother. This explains the many repetitions of the humble acknowledgement of the spouse, my beloved to me and I to him who feedeth among the lilies till the day break and shadows retire, Canticle 2.16. And elsewhere, I too, my beloved, and my beloved to me, I to my beloved, and his turning is to me. 61. The fire of divine love which burned in the heart of our Redeemer, in which he came to spread upon the earth, finding material so prepared and ready at hand, as was that of the pure heart of Mary, produced such effects as only the Lord himself, who was the author of them, could properly estimate. There is but one thing which I wish to record, having received an understanding thereof, that in the outward demonstrations of his love for his most holy mother, 
He guided himself not by the natural affections and inclinations of a son, but by her capability of meriting as a pilgrim in mortal life. For he well knew that, if these demonstrations, he would allow his filial love for such a mother to have full sway. He would impede her merits by forcing upon her the continual enjoyment of the delights of her beloved. On this account, the Lord restrained to a certain extent the human activity of his love, and permitted his mother, though she had reached the pinnacle of sanctity, to engage in meritorious labor and suffering by stopping now and then the flow of visible favors from his divine humanity. In his daily intercourse, the divine child therefore maintained a certain reserve and moderation. Hence, though the most assiduous lady was so solicitous in serving and ministering to him in all his wants, her most holy son indulged in no such outward tokens of his filial love as would have been an adequate return for her loving service. Instruction given to me by the most holy Mary, the Queen of Heaven. 62. My daughter, all the works of my most holy son and my own actions are full of mysterious instruction and doctrine for the mortals who contemplate them diligently and reverently. The Lord absented himself from me in order that, seeking him in sorrow and tears, I might find him again in joy with the abundant fruits for my soul. I desire that thou imitate me in this mystery and seek him with such earnestness as to be consumed with a continual longing without ever in thy whole life coming to any rest until thou holdest him and thou canst lose him no more. Canticle 5.4 In order that thou mayest understand better the sacrament of the Lord, remember that the infinite wisdom made men capable of his eternal felicity and placed them on the way to this eternal happiness, but left them in doubt of its attainment as long as they have not yet acquired it, and thus filled them with joyful hope and sorrowful fear of its final acquisition. This anxiety engenders in men a lifelong fear and abhorrence of sin, by which alone they can be deprived of beatitude, and thus prevent them from being ensnared and misled by the corporeal and visible things of this earth. This anxiety the Creator assists by adding to the natural reasoning powers, faith and hope, which are the spurs of their love, towards seeking and finding their last end. Beside these virtues and others infused at baptism, he sends his inspirations and helps to keep awake the soul in the absence of its Lord and to prevent forgetfulness of him and of itself while deprived of his amiable presence. Thus it pursues the right course until it finds the great goal, where all its inclinations and longing shall be satiated. 63. Hence, thou canst estimate this listless ignorance of mortals, and how few stop to consider the mysterious order of thy creation and justification and all the works of the Almighty, tending toward this exalted end. From this forgetfulness flow so many evils, endured by men while they appropriate so many earthly goods and deceitful delights, as if they could ever find in them their ultimate end. The height of perversity opposed to the order of the Creator is that mortals in this transitory and short life rejoice in visible things, as if they were their last end, while they ought, on the contrary, to make good use of the creatures, to gain, not to lose, the highest good. Do thou, therefore, my dearest, be mindful of this dangerous human folly. Consider all delights and joys of the world as insanity, its laughing as sorrow, sensible enjoyment as self-deceit, as the source of foolishness, which intoxicates the heart and hinders and destroys all true wisdom. Live in constant and holy fear of losing eternal life, and rejoice in nothing except in the Lord, until thou obtainest the full possession of him. 
fly from conversations with men and dread its dangers. If sometimes God places thee in the way of human intercourse for his glory and by obedience, although thou must trust in his protection, yet never be remiss or careless in guarding thyself from contamination. Do not trust thy natural disposition when there is question of friendship and close intercourse with others. And this consists for thee a greater danger. For the Lord has given thee a pleasing and mild disposition, so that thou mayest naturally incline toward him. Resist none of his intentions, and make a proper return for the blessings bestowed upon thee. But as soon as thou givest entrance to creatures into thy heart, thou wilt certainly be carried away and alienated by them from the highest good. And thou wilt pervert the intentions and operations of his infinite wisdom in thy behalf. It would certainly be most unworthy of thee to divert that which is most noble in thy nature toward an unseemly end. Raise thyself above all created things and above thyself. Perfect the operations of thy faculties and set before them the exalted perfections of thy God, of my beloved Son and thy spouse, who is beautiful among the sons of men. Love him with all the powers of thy heart and soul. This concludes our reading today from day number one. This concludes our reading today for day number 187. We have been reading from volume three, book five, chapter five, paragraphs 55 to 63. One of the things we know about the finding of Jesus in the temple is that Mary's heart treasured these moments. Mary's heart pondered these things, and we hear about the sorrow that this event brought upon Mary, but then also the joy that it brought to her heart as well. This is the heart of a mother, the heart of one who couldn't find her child, and then the joy of finding the child and all that he was saying, all that he was doing in that moment. And they talk about all of these different things then as they are on their journey back home from Jerusalem. Jesus explains the great mysteries, the prophecies. He gives them insight really into what is to come. There's something to marvel at here, that the Son of God becomes a child, grows up with these parents, and lives with them. He gives us a great model, and this is what Mary seeks to do. She seeks to replicate what she sees in Jesus in her own life. And so for us, we want to replicate that. Jesus, obedient to his parents, Jesus honoring his parents, Jesus loving his parents. Think about your own parental relationships. And Mary, in our instruction today, really tells us the very purpose of this event so that we might never lose God, that we might always seek him, that we might always find him. We heard about fleeing from conversations, having an abhorrence for sin, all of those things. That's the lesson here. The spiritual meaning of the finding of Jesus in the temple is to help us to realize that when we are lost, that we can be found. And it's the good shepherd who finds us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today. 
and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.